Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from Apple. Guys, I want to congratulate you on another Mets season because uh, sometimes this is tougher on us than it is on anybody else, and, and we made it through. So uh, congratulations for that. We have a special guest with us today, a good friend, my buddy Mark Healy. He's the uh, editor-in-chief of the Rockaway Wave. He's also running the show over at Gotham Baseball, which appears to be uh, spreading out into other uh, other sports this uh, this winter as well. Mark, welcome to the show, my friend. Well, thank you, uh, Tim, for having me, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Excellent, man. Um, I guess first things first, uh, we do have some some exciting news, which I touched on a little bit in the last episode. Uh, Mark has invited, well, Mark and the whole gang over at the QBC has invited me to be a State of the Mets panelist at the Queens Baseball Convention. That's November 13th at Mulcahy's in Wontaw. Uh, if you needed pronunciation help on either, we got you, of course. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm truly excited for that. Mark, you guys are, I uh, must be excited to be getting the show back on the road, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, obviously with COVID and, and then we had some some, you know, different things, you know, pop up over the last couple of years. But it really is exciting. Uh, the Wontaw uh, spot, Mulcahy's is a hot spot. I expect a lot of people to come out and I'm really looking forward to this year's State of the Mets panel. Oh, it should be great. I mean, between uh, Lori Robinson from FAN, Tim Healy from Newsday, the guests that you guys have lined up. I mean, Gary Cohen, Ron Darling, Todd Frazier, SNY sending people. I'm sure there's going to be more announcements before we. It's just um, I'm thrilled. You know, even Mama Ryder wants to come. That's how you know when the fan base is worked up. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the Dan Tuig and Keith Blackneck do a fantastic job every year. And uh, I'm proud to say that State of the Mets has been part of the uh, QBC since its inception. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's always to me, uh, you know, I always try to set up the panel with a, you know, diverse group, you know, whether it's someone from the radio, whether it's someone from that covers the team uh, from a beat standpoint, and also people like yourself that, you know, work as hard as any reporter out there, you know, getting, you know, the numbers and the opinions and, you know, really engaging the fan base. So, you know, that's why, you know, the State of the Mets, I think, is one of the more popular panels because of that, you know, because people know we don't have any uh, clickbait overlord telling us what to do. You know, we can just kind of vamp even in, during the Wilpon years. We were able to really just state our opinions and get it out there. So I, I'm really looking forward to having you on board. I was excited when you said yes. And, you know, Lori Rubinson is back. It's, it's, she was part of the virtual uh, state of the Mets uh, earlier this year. Uh, but this is her first, you know, live appearance. So I'm really excited about it. Oh, I'm over the moon. I think I told you when you, when you invited me, I just, <clears throat> excuse me, absolutely thrilled. Uh, 
I'm only a couple of towns away from from Wantaw, so this is right in my backyard. It's yeah, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, but I mean, that's you know, between now and then, I'm sure we're going to have a bunch of Mets news to talk about. And by the time the uh, the convention starts, forget about it. We should be in full swing. But I mean, as of right now, we're recording Monday morning. The uh, the end of the season is still very fresh. The Mets have a, a full plate of, of, of stuff to accomplish this winter. Um, I believe first on the list would probably be determining the fate of Louis Rojas. Uh, what are your thoughts there? You think, I mean, is it, is it really a question of whether he stays or whether he goes at this point? Or, or uh, do you think that's more of a foregone conclusion? I, I kind of think it is. I think he, he knows. Uh, I think he probably has already been told what his uh, situation is. And I think the only, the only drama uh, that will occur is if the team decides to bring him back. I don't see that happening, Tim. Uh, But as you know, I've been very vocal about how I felt that whatever you want to break down as far as his in-game decisions, uh, I, I truly believe that the, you know, he's not the problem, you know, he might not have been, uh, you know, on the top three, uh, you know, uh, uh, about the things that went wrong this season or the things that, you know, prevented the Mets from making the playoffs. But, you know, Luis, you know, I, I think he did a really serviceable job, if not above average job, dealing with everything that he had to deal with during the course of the season. So uh, I, I've said it a few months ago. Uh, I think Luis Rojas is probably going to be a good manager someday. Maybe it's for somebody else. But uh, I, I do hope that there is an effort to keep him on board in some capacity, whether it's minor league coordinator, whether it's quality control coach, as he's, as he's done before. Um, I'm hoping that they find a way to keep him in the organization because he does have the respect of a lot of the players and a lot of the people that work inside that organization. How many of them stay is, you know, certainly I'm, I'm sure you're going to get to that question. But, um, you know, Luis is a guy that, you know, I, I certainly don't think he was terrible. I certainly don't think he was the reason they didn't make the playoffs. But I think it's more than likely that, you know, Luis Rojas will be moving on. Yeah, it's, I guess listening to him on Sunday after the game, it's certainly um, – I don't want to say it sounded like a goodbye, but it, it was uh, – I guess he addressed the, the, the media corps at the end of the session and just kind of thanked everyone for their professionalism. And it, it, yeah, it kind of sounded like a sign-off, but we'll see. And, and I would certainly like for him to, to stay in the organization if that's a possibility, just because the Mets, at least in recent years, have really done well with bringing their – talented prospects up to the majors. I mean, you can look at guys, Conforto, Nimmo, Dom Smith, Pete Alonzo. I mean, a lot of these guys were homegrown players and um, Louis Rojas, whether a manager at whatever level, because he was kind of moving along with them, um, certainly ushered that along. And yeah, maybe he, you know, he certainly made missteps this season. I, I don't totally buy into the, the idea or the narrative that every decision made coming out of that dugout was solely on Rojas. I think in today's game, that's always a, a group discussion with the, with the front office, with the, with the analytics people. And, you know, the manager is always going to have a voice in the discussion, a voice in the room. And, and uh, you know, it's up to him to kind of execute the plan, but you know, the plan is a, 
a group effort. And, I, you know, the manager naturally is going to take heat in those spots, but I'm with you. I don't think it was all on him in these spots. And, you know, it's also up to the players to, um, to execute. And in, in most cases, in some, you know, very detrimental cases, guys just didn't. And whether it was with one or scoring position, you know, it comes down to, to a little bit of everything. And sure. was, Rojas, did he make mistakes? Yes, but, you know, you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt. It's a long season. Mistakes and, and mistakes will be made. Gambles will be lost and games will be lost too. And, you know, it's disappointing to say the least, but I'm with you. I think he has a very bright future in this game. And um, if I'm him, I, if, if, if he's not here, I, uh, I certainly explore my options because I, I do think uh, he can certainly – get picked up, you know, in a heartbeat. I think someone's certainly uh, intrigued by, by his, his, the, I guess what he brings to the table, but uh, you know, the Mets are going to have new people in charge next year above Rojas. So you have to kind of see where these things go and it'd be tough to, to hire a president of baseball operations and say, Oh, here's your manager, by the way. <laughs> well, you know, I kind of thought, you know, I, and I kind of intimated this uh, when, you know, Sandy, uh, basically announced that Luis was coming back before they really had anybody in the front office in place. And I kind of thought that that was odd, you know, yeah. uh, considering that Luis wasn't even the first choice, you know, after the, you know, the Beltron debacle. And, you know, I, there was a lot of people that made me feel good about the decision when he was first hired, like, you know, Michael Mayer and, and Joe DeMeo because they do a great job in, in covering the prospects in the system. And, you know, they had nothing but good things to say about Luis and, you know, the people around the team had nothing but good things to say because he had been a quality control coach. He had certainly been, uh, you know, a successful minor league manager, which I always look at as something that is, is valuable, especially with a team that, you know, loves to develop their own players. But I think at the end of the day that, the media, the fans didn't really feel like the confidence in Luis. And maybe it was because of the media, um, you know, sessions. Maybe it was because, you know, some of the ways that the, the, the questions were answered. I, I think it's a very, very delicate balance when you have a manager uh, that might be great in the room, but not necessarily so great with the media. And I think that's an important part of the job that I think Luis did a good job with it, but it wasn't a great job. And I think that when a team is struggling and the manager is kind of struggling to answer the questions, even though he's doing it in an honest way, you know, it, it seemed a lot of times that maybe he wasn't read in on some of the injury stuff that maybe he wasn't, uh, you know, being really. Uh, you know, like you said, the manager having a voice in the room. I don't know how much of a voice he ever had, you know, and right. I think that part of it was the, you know, kind of the upheaval in the, you know, maybe with maybe with Jared Porter, if, if we, you know, if if they had known about what was going on with him. I mean, really, that was really the first domino to fall yeah. and having Zach Scott have to be thrust into that role. Not really a media guy either. And, and, you know, say what you want about Steve Phillips, say what you want about Omar Minaya, you know, those guys seem to have a little bit more, you know, gravitas uh, when it came to dealing with the media. 
Same goes for the Bobby Valentines of the world and even the Terry Collins. Now, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Terry Collins, but the, 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 the people in the room, the media people seem to have a great deal of respect for Terry. So, you know, I think that some of that was missing this year and, and not that it would have translated into a winning season, but I do think that whoever the next manager is and whoever the next, uh, you know, player of baseball operations, uh, president of baseball operations or the, or the next GM, you know, part of, you know, surviving in New York, part of thriving in New York is having that gravitas when you deal with the media, because let's face it, outside of New York, you're not really dealing with a ton of media across the country. And, you know, it is an important part of the job. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I think to an extent, because we've, I think we've all heard Louis Rojas um, be very passionate and eloquent and direct and, and, and forthcoming in his interviews and in his post-game pressers. And I think we've heard that from time to time, but we've also heard the vague answers. And I think to an extent he's um, not muted by the organization, but he's most certainly said, all right, let's not expand on this. Let's not expand on this. Let's give very, very, very general answers. And that's almost what it feels like. And, you know, we've heard Louis Rojas speak passionately and I enjoy his baseball insight. I think he's a, and, you know, a top notch baseball guy, baseball mind, because you've heard him speak about it. Just, you know, when he has to give answers in certain spots, it just feels like it's very generalized. And, you know, that it just feels like it's part of the plan. And that's that's OK, too. But I I dig the. Get, putting a room in your hand aspect, I think when you referenced Omar Minaya, when you referenced Steve Phillips, the way that they could just almost like salesman the room, just kind of encapsulate everybody and, and, and carry the, 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 the narrative of whatever the, the topic is. It, it was impressive. And yeah, I think, you know, Sandy's soft-spoken, but he's, um, you know, he, he's meticulous, meticulous, I guess you could say, but he's very soft-spoken and, you know, um, very dry and, and wry. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that either, but um, yeah, I think a little life would help, especially with now with an owner who who's certainly a little more, well, you know, eons more outspoken than the last ownership group was. And uh, yeah, I hope Rojas can stick around in some capacity. And I wouldn't even mind it being the manager, but yeah, I think it's time that um just kind of overhaul. And that kind of takes us into the president of baseball operations. Like as far as a hire, you, you kind of have to go, big fish on this, whether it's the Theos or the Beans or the Stearns of the world, right? I think you have to. I, At I least think you have I, to aim for it, right? No, you have to. Look, I mean, I, I don't envy. I, I think I tweeted this the other day. I don't envy, uh, you know, this this process. I don't because uh, it is it is fraught with disappointment. You know, uh, last year I gave I gave everybody a pass last year because of what transpired as far as, you know, the, basically the ownership, uh, you know, did not get, you know, did not get approved, I think, in time for the Mets to kind of do what they were doing. And, you know, for, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they got denied a lot of people that they were interested in. And, and the process almost got away from them because of the timing. Timing is everything in sports, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's everything in life, but especially in sports. You know, when you have to wait, we've seen it. We've seen it play out 
every year in the NFL when they can't talk to guys that are coaching, you know, uh, you know, a playoff, because that's what you want, right? You want somebody who's been successful in the postseason, but then to get, you know, those interviews during the playoffs, to get those interviews, you know, uh, you know, outsides. And that's why I think Theo really should be the number one target. Uh, aside from his resume, which is stellar, uh, he's not connected to any team right now. They don't have to get permission from anybody. Yeah. The one thing that we have to, you know, what, that they have to figure out is, is Theo willing to come here with Sandy in place? I think he is. I think that Steve has to figure out whether or not he's willing to uh, open up an ownership stake for Theo, because that's been speculated as to something that would get Theo on board. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge of building a winner in New York, some people have kind of poo-pooed that. I don't. I think Theo would love to do what, you know, really only only Frank Cashin and, and Johnny Murphy have done in this town. Uh, and even Steve Phillips, you know, there's a name that you don't hear often enough. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's be honest. I mean, I think Theo and Theo is a guy who's not afraid to hire a manager with a high profile. Uh, I think Theo has more than enough connections in the game to hire a competent GM, uh, someone who, who will, you know, uh, either, uh, you know, he or she that will be trusted with compiling the roster and drafting the players. Because let's be honest. Frank Cashin didn't do anything from 1981, 1982, 1983 with the major league roster, excuse me, from 80 to 82, with the exception of the trade for Keith Hernandez in 83. Yeah. Let's be honest. Most of those things were they were building through the draft. They were building, you know, drafting players, you know, trying to assess the, the disaster that he inherited. And that's the word he used, Frank Cashin. So, uh, you know, People, I, I think the Mets can spend some money. I think they can uh, do some really interesting things with the roster that they have right now. But, you know, it's going to have to be broken down quite a bit. Uh, and I trust Theo to be able to build from that probably more than anybody else that we're talking about. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, you know, the baseball resume, and this goes for all three of them, whether it's Theo, Billy Bean, or David Stearns in Milwaukee. Um, you know, baseball-wise, I, I trust all of their decisions. They're all top of the, you know, top of the industry guys. Um, I do have hesitance with Theo just because everything that's gone on with this organization, let's say in the past two years, whether it be Mickey, whether it be Jared Porter, whether it be, you know, just the stuff that went on with the Wilpons that are coming to light now. Um, under Theo, guys like Zach Scott, um, who, you know, Zach Scott, we all make mistakes, whatever. Jared Porter, that's another story altogether. These, you know, these are guys who were groomed under in that, I guess, in that, uh, in that system. And whether it was just an oversight, whether it was, it, I don't know, none of us know the details behind it. Just perception wise, it might not be a great look. And then there's always going to be people who are unhappy about any decision, but I think the Mets certainly have to take that into account. Uh, and that that's not discrediting Theo as a person, Theo as a baseball man. Maybe there's a, a chance Theo didn't know about any of this stuff. And that's, that's perfectly, you know, plausible, but, you know, considering today's temperature, you know, just the temperature of everything, it, 
the Mets are going to have to take that into account. And, I, you know, I hope it doesn't end up disqualifying a very good candidate, but I certainly think they have to do their due diligence into at least seeing what the story was there. But in any case, whether it's Theo or Billy Bean or, or David Stearns, um, you know, you have so many decisions to make. And ultimately to me, it comes down to this team's one willingness to spend money, which Cullen's already said that he's, he's willing to do that. And, and like you just referred to um, what you're doing with the core in place. Cause I think the Mets only have 131 million on the books. That includes Cano for 2022, but that's not including arbitration figures. If they are shipping out a JD Davis, if maybe Dom Smith isn't here, which I would, Highly disagree with. I think he's a great bench player. Uh, anyway, but back to payroll. They are going to have money to spend. If they want to hit the 275, 280 million mark that's been tossed around, that's, you know, that even right now without arbitration, that's $150 million to kind of play around with. Um, we're going to take a very, very quick break just to hear from our sponsors, but we're going to play Let's Spend Steve Cohen's Money for a Little While. Hang tight. We'll be right back. And we are back again. We are here with Mark Healy. It's my guy from the wave from Gotham baseball. Uh, we are talking a little bit of everything Mets right now. Uh, we went into break kind of touching on what, what the Mets are going to do as far as payroll. And I think we're going to play our America's favorite game. Let's spend Steve Cohen's money in the second half of the show. Mark, I guess first things first, the core. Um, we've heard opinions range from blow it up to run it back to, you know, add to it to uh, where, where do you stand? Do you do you feel that there is success contained within this current core offensive, really? Because, you know, pitching wise, um, I think that's another conversation altogether. I think that, you know, I, I kind of posted the other day on Twitter that, you know, I, I really don't want to speculate on who's coming, who's staying, who they should sign mm-hmm. until I know who the, to the, who, who the front office is going to be. Because, you know, every front office that you bring in is going to, is going to operate differently. You know, um, if, it's, if it's Theo Epstein, you know, I have a clearer idea of what he values. If it's Billy Bean, a little different, you know, uh, Billy can certainly you know, put together a roster. Uh, but, you know, Billy likes to play chess. So Billy might be willing to kind of break it all down and kind of start over and move pieces around and find guys that are more under control, you know, and uh, Stearns, you know, he's built a team, you know, the old fashioned way in a lot of ways. So, you know, it, it's going to be very hard to speculate. Obviously, they need an upgrade at third base. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, uh, the, the catching did not, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy McCann, who I love, certainly did not play up to his expectations. Forget about everybody else's. You know, that's the first thing he said to me when I asked him during the spring about, you know, how the expectations were going to be high and how he was going to deal with it. And, you know, his answer was, you know, no one's expectations are higher than my own. I'm going to be harder on myself than anybody else is. So, you know, do I think we've seen the best of James McCann? I don't think we have. But, you know, maybe Theo comes in and says, you know what? I I wouldn't have signed this guy. I want to trade him and maybe, you know, sign a catcher. Who knows? You know, sure. Obviously, there's a lot of of there's a lot of moving pieces here. 
And to speculate on one or two players, you know, to me, I I remember posting earlier, uh, you know, earlier in the winter about how Brandon Nimmo is my center fielder. I'm going to, I'm going to roll with that guy. And everybody told me what a terrible defensive center fielder he was. And I said, look, does he have, does they have stuff to work on? Yeah. But I have more confidence in Brandon Nimmo working hard and, and improving. And he did. Let's be honest. The only thing that Brandon Nimmo, the only question about Brandon Nimmo is staying on the field. You know, I mean, this is a guy that plays 120% every inning. You know, every at bat and, you know, guys like that are going to break down a little bit. So, um, you know, I mean, do you upgrade center field? Do you move Brandon Nimmo to a corner spot if Michael Conforto doesn't come back? I mean, there's all kinds of questions that need to be answered. And I really don't feel comfortable in kind of speculating, you know, when I don't know who's buying the groceries. Right. You know, and that's and that's that's the hardest thing. You know, we, we're in the prediction business. We're in the evaluation business. When Gary LaRock used to be the scouting director for the, for the Mets, he used to always say, oh, here's Mark Healy. He's a scout, you know, like kidding, because he knew that, that those were the guys I talked to on a regular basis to try to, you know, like you said, take the temperature of, of the system. So, you know, what kind of apparatus is going to be in place? You know, if you know that, then you have a little bit better of an idea on who's going to be brought in, who's going to be traded. And, and let's be honest, a lot of these homegrown guys did not play up to their, you know, expectations either. You well, know, you talk about, you know, when you talk about, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but you talk about Dom Smith. I love Dom Smith, but he had a terrible year, you he know, did. Jeff McNeil, terrible year. Um, you know, and those are two guys that were really important when we thought this team had winning players, uh, you know, in certain spots. And so, those are a lot of questions. I don't envy that job. I got to be honest with you. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you look at the core, I think that that's the biggest question I have, you know, from, for a season and a half, we'll count 2020 as a half a season First season and a half, this group, which pretty much remained unchanged without the, you know, the addition of Francisco Lindor and Baez later in the season, you know, by weighted runs created plus, which is a, like an, it's an all encompassing stat, but it, it gives a good, kind of gauge for where their production is. Um, this was the fifth best offense in baseball, you know, per that stat um, through 2019 and 2020. And yes, this year, you know, in 2021, you just, you saw downfalls from um, everybody, whether it was Conforto, Dom and Dom had spurts, but Dom was not there. And Dom would probably be the first one to tell you that. Um Jeff McNeil certainly didn't have the year he wanted. Brandon Nimmo. And, and injuries were a factor, with at least with, you know, McNeil and Conforto both missing a while with the hamstrings. You know, guys found their rhythms. And I think you saw it with Conforto towards the end of the season. He was Michael Conforto again. Um, you know, to me, guys like Dom Smith and, you know, J.D. Davis, I, I think he said it best. It's all signs are pointing to him leaving town. I'm not necessarily against keeping him around. I think he's a great bench piece. And to be honest, same thing goes for Dom Smith. You know, with Pete here, he's probably not going to be your starting first baseman. He'll get reps there. But with um, a front office willing to spend money and willing to take this thing to the next level, he's probably not your starting left fielder either. If another team sees him as a starter and and are willing to, you know, give you a nice return for Dom Smith – the fan in me says, oh, that sucks. But, you know, the 
the also, I guess the other half of the fan in me says, well, good for Dom. He's going to go start somewhere. But, you know, for the Mets, if they're building a, a championship level team, boy, those are some really, really good, very, very economically wise and potentially very productive bench pieces in Dom and, and J.D. Davis. And even Jeff McNeil, who Jeff McNeil is a hitter. He's a contact hitter. When he's right, he's one of the best average hitters in baseball. And actually, from his debut up until this season, he was the best average hitter in baseball. Um, you have a guy like him who can roam around the field. He has positive metrics all around the diamond, wherever he plays um, by OAA. Maybe he is your super utility guy. And again, he's under contract for another year. Uh, it's arbitration money at this point. This is the, you know, a, at least in my opinion, this is the core that you add to. You know you have potential in it because you've seen it. You've also seen that maybe they're not the ready for primetime core that you'd hope they were. But now that you have a little money to spend and now that you have Lindor for a full season, hopefully not injured, you have Pete who's turned into – a, a, an elite power hitter and he heats his, you know, his slash line was right on par with his 2019 year the, uh, season this year. You can really um, tinker. And I think you can stretch out the talented depth that's here and put it over the top with the right additions. Um, whether that's bringing back free agents like Michael Conforto, if he takes the, the qualifying offer, great. If he doesn't and someone's going to give him big money, Mike, we thank you for the run, but, um, you know, that's just not, it might not be in the plans. And I get that a guy like Javi Baez who wants to be here, who said, who's said as much, we've seen the heights of his potential. Um, I think that's a guy that you, you really have to do your best to at least make an effort to bring back. Are you bought or sold on, on Javi Baez, not coming back, but Javi Baez, the difference maker, the player. You know, I, I like Javi. I like the energy he brings. I like the fact that he, you know, plays with uh, an enthusiasm that maybe is lost on some people. Uh, you know, but like I said, you know, I, I don't know. Like, let's put it this way. I think the Met fan base should brace itself for someone coming in and basically looking at the end result and saying, we've got to change the the makeup of this team and you're right having Lindor in place having Pete in place you know you got those two guys you got Jake you know DeGrom hopefully you have you know uh, Stroman back and you know I don't think Edwin Diaz is going to be going anywhere but but pretty much you know somebody might come in and be like you know what I got to bring in a different kind of player I got to we have to bring in Players with a more consistent uh, resume, guys who have been successful, guys who are under control so that if we want to make a big ticket signing, maybe it's not Javi Baez. Maybe there's somebody else out there that the Mets, you know, uh, you know, value more than Javi. And that's why that's why it's so important to get that front office structured as soon as possible so that those decisions can be made. And made quickly, especially those big ticket items, because then you can tinker. Then you can determine, you know, because let's be honest, Dom Smith is at his lowest value right now. Right. Uh, you know, he was being packaged at the deadline. Teams were asking for Dom Smith and Ronnie Mauricio. And, you know, and I, I felt like, 
you know, I'm not giving up Pedro Alvarez. You know, I'm not giving up Ronnie Mauricio, even though he plays shortstop and Lindor's ahead of him. I'm not willing to overpay for a team, let's be honest, that, you know, may have been a, a player or two away, but the price tag was so high. And with a Zach Scott making those decisions, I'm kind of glad they didn't, you know, overpay for a Chris Bryant. And people might listen to this and say, what are you, out of your mind? Look, you know, I, as far as I know, the Cubs were fixated on Pedro Alvarez. You're going to uh, give Francisco, up Francisco Alvarez. Uh, for, I'm sorry, Francisco Alvarez. Pedro I mean, Alvarez I'm, is a hell of a player, though. I mean, you're going to give up. <laughs> I, exactly. So, you know, I, I'm a, it's a little early. I only have to <laughs> um, We're all good, Mark. But you but, know what I'm saying, Tim? But you know I what do. I'm saying? Like, like, I know that they were fixated on him a year ago. Uh, and this, this was before the great season he had uh, with Brooklyn. So, you know, do you want to give that guy up for, you know, a, a rental of Chris Bryant? I, I'd rather not, to be honest with you. I mean, I would love to get Chris Bryant in this offseason. A lot of people have not been talking about him. They've been talking about bringing back Javi uh, Baez. But, you know, like I said, I mean, I want to have this front office in place before I start, you know, uh, investing emotional, uh, you know, uh, capital in players coming and going. I want to have a, a sense of who are they going to be listening to, too? You know, when Pat Gillick, every time he would join a new team, Pat Gillick would assess first, you know? So maybe there's not a ton of movement this offseason. It could be somebody that comes in and says, look, you know, I, I don't necessarily trust your Italian evaluators because you were supposed to have a good season and you didn't. Yeah. So, you know, maybe I'm just going to clear out these guys and, and bring in some new guys, some new blood to see if we can get a winning combination without spending a ton of money and locking players in for, you know, long-term, you know, acquisition. So like I said, give me the, give me the front office first and then I'll start playing chess. Yeah. I guess, you know, the foresight in me says, um, you know, don't sell low on guys you had, really low years and are still under team control. But part of me agrees with you that, that yeah, maybe a shakeup is needed to an extent. And, you know, if the Mets can cut out half of their arbitration money, they can afford Baez and Bryant. Like that's, that's how much money they're going to have available to them this offseason. If they play their cards right, they can add three $25 million players. And that's not even, I'm not talking out of my, out of the side of my mouth there either. That's, that's realistic in, in, in a sense. They'll have to pull strings, but they could make that work if they want. They have so many different ways to go. But one area that I definitely agree with you is that, no, I definitely do not trade Dom Smith and Ronnie Mauricio for Bryant. I don't trade them for Jose Barrios. I don't touch any of those because the Mets farm system is so paired right now as far as depth. You have some absolute gems there but they're few and far between and they're all mostly in the lower, in the lower levels. Well, now they're kind of making their way through, but I don't move Beatty. I don't move Mauricio. I don't, I never move Alvarez. My goodness. He looks like he's going to be a star. Um, even the pitching, you know, Matt Allen's coming back from an injury. JT Ginn showed very, very good, encouraging things this year. Yeah. I, I think that's the key is, is letting that, farm system not only develop at the high end, but kind of grow at the middle and low end. And from there, you know, yeah, like you said, let's not, we can't go too far because we don't know who's in charge. We don't know what the plan is, but they certainly have a lot of different directions to go. Um, Mark, 
before we sign off, what do you got cooking on your end these days? I know the wave and the, and Gotham baseball keeps you pretty busy. Well, you know, we do the podcast, the Gotham sports machine with my son, Jack, who's the host, uh, which you've been a guest on, which is awesome. I have. It's uh, great. You know, we've got Gotham gridiron is uh, up and running. And uh, we're, we're doing some stuff on the football side for the football season. But of course, Gotham is always going to be popping with with everything that's going to be happening over the course of the next six to six to eight weeks. Uh, you know, just uh, working on my next couple of book projects, you know, trying to figure out what what, what the next project's going to be. Uh, and, and really, my full time job that takes me 70, 80 hours a week is being the editor in chief of the wave. And that's really my my uh, my go to. Uh, and, and, you know, kind of all this other stuff that we're doing is on the side, but certainly, uh, you'd never know it. Just ask my wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, again, um, I can't thank you enough. One for coming on the show Two for inviting me to be a part in the Queens baseball convention, which again, everybody is November 13th at Mulcahy's in Wanta. Um, tickets are available on queensbaseballconvention.com. I hope I got that right. Cause I didn't put that in my notes. Uh, or QB convention on Twitter. You can pop on there. They got, you know, the, uh, the QR codes, all that fun stuff. And Mark, where can everyone find you on social media? Uh, you know, uh, at Mark C. Healy, M-A-R-K-C-H-E-A-L-E-Y. That's Mark C. Healy uh, and Heels9 on Instagram. And uh, I'm all over. So I, <laughs> unfortunately, so I, I'm, I'm all over too much, I guess. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Mark C. Healy, that t- Twitter is really where I kind of spend most of my time. Cool. Uh, same here. And, and now I'm kind of happy that the season is over so I can make that a little bit less of my time through the winter because, oh, that place can be a cesspool sometimes. Yeah. But you know what, though, Tim, <laughs> what I've learned, you know, having been on I've been on Twitter since 2009, December. And, you know, what I've learned over the years is that if somebody is going to come for you and they're anonymous you know, the mute button is a beautiful thing, man. Oh, it certainly is. It took me a little <laughs> while to learn that, but oh my goodness. Out of sight, out of mind. That's it. That's what you have to do. You have to just focus on what, you know, when people give you feedback that is constructive, when people want to have a conversation, I'm all for it. But, you know, this sucks, you suck, that sucks, whatever. You know, look, you know, I don't, in real life, would you have a conversation with somebody like that? No, you wouldn't. You'd walk away. And that's why the new <laughs> button is a beautiful thing. It certainly is. Mark, can't thank you enough, man. Everybody, we will be back next week. We're back to weekly shows through the off season, but with we with longer gaps, we'll have a lot more to talk about and uh, looking forward to it. You guys know the sign off. Let's fucking go Mets. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.